going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 17 of the revamped Matt Bernier Show for Monday, June the 1st, 2020. However you listen to the show, thank you for doing so. A number of ways to find it. Uh, you can find it on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, where you can also find all the other podcasts that are under the In The Money Media umbrella, audio only over there, occasionally get a couple of uh, write-ups and articles, so plenty of good content over there. I'll circle back to In The Money in a moment. Uh, for those of you that listen on your phones, your cell phones, whatever it may be, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, however you get your podcasts on Android, that's also available, uh, and then the folks still over on YouTube. All you got to do, go on over to YouTube, search Matt Bernier Show in that search bar. Uh, it'll bring you over to a page where you'll find all the archived editions of this program as well as whatever the latest one is. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the In The Money media page. Make sure the bell icon's lit up so you get a notification anytime a new program is uploaded, whether it's one of my podcasts, whether it's uh, Horse Players Happy Hour that gets uploaded, whether it's anything else that gets uploaded. Uh, from In The Money Media. While you're over there, you might as well go over to my page, Matt Bernier. Uh, give that one a subscribe as well. Occasionally upload some new content there. As far as today's show, hey, you know what? Let's wait. Let's put a pin in that for today's show. Uh, let's take a look at what is to come this week for the sort of In The Money family of pods and programming. number of different things going on. Uh, Wednesday, PTF, Peter Thomas Fornital is going to be doing a Woodbine preview. Woodbine opens up on Saturday afternoon. He's going to have the hammer. Tommy Mass is helping him out along with Ron Gearkink from the Daily Racing Forum. Uh, let's see, the Stronic 5 show is back. Everybody seems to be back up running again. We've got Laurel, we've got Gulfstream, we've got Santa Anita, we've got Golden Gate. Everything is good. The Stronic 5 is going to be back for Friday. Those boys are going to be taking a look at the Stronic 5 as they typically do throughout the, the course of the year. So that's going to be back. Obviously, a big piece there. Tom Amos is going to be joining uh, Jonathan Kinchin on JK Plus One this week. Uh, Janine Edwards is going to be joining uh, Talk Racing to Me from Naomi Tucker. Uh, talking about a number of different things. I had the pleasure of working with Janine Edwards back in 2015 for American Pharaoh's Triple Crown at ESPN. So that's definitely going to be a pod that you want to tune into. Uh, obviously, Spencer Luganbuehl's got his piece going on there with Redboard Rewind. Um, in the Ring podcast, I'm sure, is going to be rolling through at some point. And then obviously this one as well. So plenty going on. Head on over to InTheMoneyPodcast.com or better yet, just subscribe, rate, and review to all the podcasts on the Apple feed or Android or wherever it may be. Uh, again, it, it's greatly appreciated. Now, let's talk about what is going to come here on this show this week. I'm going to buzz through four graded stakes races, and I mean buzz through them, just because it feels like that kind of day. And if you haven't been paying attention or you've missed it, I have been on a bad run. I mean, look, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world, and I'm not comparing any of this. Uh, obviously, you got to take care of... There's real life, and then there's this sort of fun side life. The real life stuff, you hope everyone stays safe. You hope everyone has their opinions heard and, and everything, you know, sort of sorts itself out and everyone is, you know, more respectful and all that going forward. On a much lighter note, lighter for many of you, I'm sure, I, I am on the cold streak of all cold streaks, and we will dive into it because I've really kind of felt like all along. This thing is all about transparency and when things are going well, I don't mind, you know, patting myself on the back and when they're going like 
crap, we got to identify that. So four graded stakes races, the Santa Maria, the winning colors, the mint jewel, the honeymoon. Then we'll dive into the pick history, the updated pick history. We'll dive into the $100 challenge, which before you know, it's going to be about a, a 10 cent challenge because <laughs> running out of money. Uh, and then we'll dive into a little bit of a QA. and a I'm hopeful this is going to be a relatively quick show. I cannot tell you how happy I am that the month of May is come and gone because it was just an unmitigated disaster on a number of fronts. Uh, but here we are. We're now, we've turned the page. We're into June. And uh, if you're looking for analysis throughout the week, and again, I, I feel it does weigh on me. I mean, look, I know we've joked about it a little bit in the past, or some folks have brought it up. The public handicapper piece, it does. It weighs on me. And you want to you want to perform. You want to produce good content. And the analysis, I stand by all of the analysis. Unfortunately, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong, and sometimes you're unlucky. Right now, it's a combination, for the most part, of being wrong and being unlucky. And uh, it, it lives over on racingpicks.com. Um, it's been a slow first two weeks for me. There's no two ways around it. But um, I can only, I can only just keep fighting the good fight, knowing that these things tend to level out and it's just, man, trying to slog through the really, really rough stuff right now to hopefully have some better stuff on the other side. So, um, we will dive into all that, but let's get into some racing first. And like I said, this is going to be a rapid fire rip through. We'll start off here with the Santa Maria five horse field, uh, fighting mad gets it done with a one Oh two buyer. We don't have a time form us rating just yet. Um, I, I thought it was an unimpressive 102 buyer, if you can say that. Um, I thought she was very green, you know, and, and kind of goofy. She was popping to her left lead at one point at the top of the lane, and then she popped over for the final 16th of a mile. The key for this race, to me, is just the running style at Santa Anita. You know, the fact that CC and Hard Not to Love both came from well out of it, I mean, they were already going to be up against it anyway. It didn't look like there was a ton of speed in this race. I liked Horologist. I loved the ride that she got, and then unfortunately she took a bad step, and I don't know if she was going to run or not, but Flavian Pratt took care of her. He eased her, and apparently she's okay going back to the barn, and knock on wood, everything stays that way. But with the way that CC and Hard Not to Love were both ridden, and I don't, I'm not going to fault the rides, but just the, the tactics or the, the style that they employ, going, going two turns at Santa Anita, they're not going to win many races like that. I don't care how talented they are. They're just not. And a horse like Fighting Mad, who I don't think is as talented as those girls, can take advantage of the circumstances. She goes out there. Two turns at Santa Anita, you need to be forwardly placed. She goes right to the front, Abel Cedillo. She gets a little bit goofy, but at that point, she'd built up enough of a cushion, and people aren't going to, people, horses aren't going to be able to make up that sort of ground at that racetrack. They're just not. Um, so, and yes, CC might have been a little bit dull, might have, you know, might not have been her best effort, but again, she was running against the grain of the track. I don't hold this against either of those girls, but at the same time, you have to at least acknowledge the fact that you're going to be up against it in any of the races going two turns there if you're trying to come from that far off of it. So, um, that's just something to keep in the back of your mind at Santa Anita. If you're looking at races, you got to be looking for horses that are going to be reasonably close to the front, unless it is a supersonic pace for a two-turn race like this at a mile and 16th. You would have needed a half mile in 45 seconds for those horses from the back to have much of a chance. You just would have. Plain and simple. There's no two ways around it. Fighting Mad, she's a nice horse. I'm not trying to sit here and bash her, but to suggest that I I don't think she's in the same league as CC or Hard Not to Love. I think Hard Not to Love, despite the fact that she rallied the way that she did, I want her back at one turn. I think she's a primetime player for a race like the Philly and Mare Sprint out at Keeneland this November. Uh, CC, you know what? Yeah, again, a dull effort. No two ways around it. But 
it doesn't really deter me from thinking that she could be a Breeders' Cup Distaff type in November. I've seen what she's capable of on her best day. Uh, and fighting mad, maybe she'll prove me wrong. But I'm going to need to see a heck of a lot more than just this one effort here with the 102 buyer. Again, K to tear. She was overmatched anyway. And knock on wood, you hope Horologist is okay uh, when it's all said and done. Because I think she's a talented filly. I think there are races for her. Maybe she's not to the level of a CC or a hard not to love. But she definitely has some great stakes potential somewhere down the line. That's all I have to say about Santa Maria. If you have any questions, thoughts, agree, disagree, want me to touch on something else next week, beneath the video player on YouTube or directly to me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, let's move on to the winning colors. Let's buzz through the three other graded stakes races. The winning colors at Churchill down six furlongs on the dirt. You had me a mischief. You had break even. They run two and three behind Bells the One. Bells the One earns a 98 buyer, a 120 time form US rating. Uh, Timeform US had red fractions throughout, which based on the splits, totally understandable. They had a bright blue bar indicating they thought it was a very, a track very kind to closers. Um, I, I didn't watch the tapes from Saturday, but looking at the charts, I don't know if I entirely agree with that. You did have a number of winners come from off of it, but you also had in those races, many of the second, third, fourth place finishers were the ones that were prominent throughout. So I'd have to probably watch all the re the replays and, and let me know if you agree with the bright blue bar or you have a different take on the way the track at Churchill played on Saturday. But just looking at the charts, it, I have a hard time fully buying into that. If I saw all the top three or four horses coming from way out of it, then I would be you know all in on it. But there were a fair amount of horses that figured prominently that still ran one, uh, two through four, two through five. So I don't know if I would quite go that far. Again, room for discussion. Bell's the one, thought she ran really well. She had a big pace to run at, finished full of run. She's a horse that, it's always funny, and I'm sure many of you have the same sort of situation where you you kind of eyeball a horse early in their career, and you say, oh boy, I think there's something here, and they just don't quite develop, or maybe they don't develop the way that you thought they would, or put it together in the sort of time that you expected, and you kind of, you get off of them, and Bell's the one is one of those horses for me. I bet her at a big, big price early on in her career as a three-year-old. And she just never, she was always good, but she could never quite seem to run with the big girls. And then in a spot like this, she pays something like $30. So good on you if you had her. I certainly did not. Um, I thought it was a giant effort from break even. She just, I mean, 21 and 1, 44 and 2 for a half. I, I don't care that it is six furlongs. I don't care that that's her game. I mean, that that's a fast opening quarter for any racehorse. I don't care, male, female, older, whatever it is. This is just a really fast, fast horse, and I'm going to be curious to see. Brad Cox and company have handled her interestingly throughout. They, they, I don't want to say they've rarely tested her, but I think she's only run, including the winning colors. I think this was her third graded stakes race. They've been very select with where they choose to run her, also from a distance standpoint, despite the fact that she won the eight bells at seven furlongs last year as a three-year-old. They really haven't tried to go much farther than these distances, I do wonder, they, they ran in the Coronation Cup at Saratoga last year on the turf, and she ran really well. I, I almost wonder if, you're, if you have any aspirations for a race like the Breeders' Cup or an event, a boutique meet like the Breeders' Cup, I almost wonder if a horse like this is better suited for a race like the, the turf sprint than the Philly and Mare sprint because you're going 7 eighths at that distance. Perhaps it's a little bit too much for her. She's going to have some other pace to deal with. And we've spoken about it in the Horse Players Happy Hour, and I'm finally starting to buy into it and realize that 
it's just kind of a, a fact of the matter that these turf sprints, despite the fact that it may look like there's a ton of speed signed on, they're typically won by horses that are forwardly placed, and we we know that she can run on grass. So I don't know if the Connections have any Breeders' Cup-type aspirations for her, but I almost wonder if break-even, if you were going to go that route, maybe you're better off in the turf sprint against males than you are in the Philly and Mare sprint going longer, going seven-eighths of a mile on dirt. Mia Mischief is a hard horse for me to figure out because she'll have these massive performances, and then she'll have races. Not that she ran poorly in the winning colors, but at no point did I look at her and think she was a winner. At no point, even before Bells the One was coming, I, I, I never thought Mia Mischief was going to go by break even. So d- she's just a difficult horse for me to really gauge. Sometimes when she shows up, she really, really shows up. And other times she'll just kind of be even, kind of flat. So um, I, I've never, seemingly never been on the right side of Mia Mischief. Uh, who knows? Maybe you'll get a little bit of a better price in the next spot that she runs. And you know that she can occasionally pop a big one. The Mint Julep. Thought this was a really fun race to watch the stretch run. He had a lot going on. Secret message wins. 92 buyer, 114 time form US rating. So the numbers seem to check out pretty much. Uh, I thought it was a fine effort from Secret Message, to be honest, when you see, or when I saw her anyway, right around the eighth pole. Uh, I thought she was just kind of moving evenly. And either she found a little extra late or it's that combined with some of the trouble some of the other girls had that ultimately led to her winning. Um, I thought she ran fine. I don't think it was a, a fantastic effort, and I think if circumstances played out a little bit differently, you could make the case that at least one, if not two or three other horses, probably were best in, in this race, given the trips that they had to try to overcome, including La Signari. I thought she was unlucky. Um, if she's not forced to take up in deep stretch, I think she wins, given she was only defeated by a nose or a head, whatever it was. Um, she had that just that one moment where she had the, and it wasn't even a full-blown check. It was just to tap the brakes and then be able to get out and move again. And if she doesn't have to do that, I can't help but think she probably wins that photo. Alti, the, for her to even be remotely close to the front when it was all said and done is just a, a, a feather in her cap because she had no no business being that close. It was a nightmare of a stretch trip for her and for her to be right there and only lose by what, length and a half, whatever it was. I mean, that was a, that was a pretty big effort for a horse that I've never really loved. I mean, of all the good horses and particularly the good fillies and mares that Chad Brown's had, Altia has never been one that I've, you know, immediately thought of, but I thought she ran quite well there. Uh, Bo Recall is a horse that I've thrown in my horse watch because at no point did she was she able to really unleash her kick, and that's Bo Recall's strength. She is genuinely that that one run, take to the back, and when we turn for home, we're going to turn the afterburners on and come with a giant stretch run. She never had the chance to do that because she was stacked up down and behind horses. She tried to squeeze up the hedge, and it didn't work for her. Um, she'll be one that next time out would be a time where I'd be interested in taking a look at her. I still love her more at a mile than I do going longer, which, again, is funny because early on in her career, I loved her at a mile and a quarter. I wonder if that late kick is just better suited at that sort of flat mile type. Um, and Nay Lady Nay, I suppose, you know, I don't know that she would ever, th- have, I don't think she would have threatened for the win, but she did have to tap the brakes a few times in the stretch. I think it at least cost her a better placing. I don't know if it would have resulted in her being right there at the wire, threatening to win, but um, she's at least one, depending on where she were to come back. You know, maybe you could look at that. I, I think the race is better than it looks on paper, put it that way. We'll leave it at that. I don't know that it was a fantastic effort, and maybe the, the result wouldn't have been, uh, you know, a major difference, but I think there was at least something there. 
to look at and say, okay, well, maybe she actually ran a little bit better than the page would suggest. Uh, out to Santa Anita for the honeymoon. This is a race I really have nothing to say. Um, Laura's Light wins, 81 buyer. There's no time form rating right now. You know, visually, there were three of them across the wire. I thought they ran fine. Um, parkour set a wicked pace for the level and the distance. She paid the price late, dropped anchor. Um, I'm not sure if, I mean, I you know, opening up by 10 down the backside going nine furlongs, you know, it, it's it would be one thing if she was doing that going a, a more tepid pace, um, going 46 and four, almost 47. Interesting tactics. I mean, look, I'm never going to be critical of trying to break open a race and say, let's use our speed and, and try to just bottom the field out. Um, I would I'd just be curious to see, you know, if, if maybe she had, you know, she had literally 10 lengths between her and Laura's Light, who uh, sat that nice sort of lead second pack kind of trip. Um, I don't know if it would have made any kind of a difference, but I mean, parkour set a wicked pace for the level and the distance. Uh, again, Laura's Light runs just fine. Um, and the other girls that were in there, I thought it was fine. I don't have anything really to add to that. They didn't run particularly fast. I think they need to improve if they're going to be running in bigger races going forward. Um, that's stating the obvious, but they're still, it's early on. They're three-year-olds. They can still develop. No, no doubt about it. So, um, not much else to add about that. If you have any thoughts, questions, um, observations about any of these four graded stakes races or any other races from Saturday or Sunday, let us know beneath the video player on YouTube or over on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. But again, it's probably best beneath the video player because that's where most of the folks that are watching on YouTube, they can see that stuff. That's where I'll go for the most part and see all the comments and things of that nature. So um, observations, trips, questions, all that kind of jazz beneath the video player here on YouTube. Now let's transition over into the pick history, the $100 challenge, and we'll wrap things up with this week's Q&A. Pick history, $100 challenge, Q&A. Uh, it's been a rocky, rocky road lately. Uh, sample size, we're now up to 156 picks in the pick history. And again, if you're still curious, you want to follow along, you want to see what the analysis and the rationale for some of these picks are and what the actual selections themselves are, head on over to racingpicks.com. I'm over there Wednesday through Sunday. Andrew Champagne's over there on Mondays and Tuesdays. It's free. All you need to do is enter your email address and you're good to go. Sample size is up to 100. 56. I made mention last week, given the sample becoming larger and larger, the percentages won't change so dramatically. So they more or less stayed flat despite another rough week. Uh, the win percentage right now for straight win is 19. The win play show percentage is 51%. The win ROI is still slightly in the black at $2.06. That's a 3% positive return on investment. You would have wagered $312 you would have had $321.20 returned. Win plays show. We are now in the red, which is not good. 51%, $1.96 ROI. That's a minus 2% return on investment. You would have wagered $936. You would have had $915.50 returned. And a cold snap of this epic proportion will do that to these numbers. Really, really hurt them. I'm just hopeful that, again, it's... You ride the wave and you hope it turns. Um, I mean, just to kind of put things in perspective with the the run, uh, for the month of May, only 7 for 53, which is about a 13% win clip. So clearly dragged the overall win percentage down. Since May 17th, 3 for 30. It's only 10%, obviously. Uh, it's, 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 been a, it's been a rough go for the past few months. 
or excuse me, for the past few weeks and just the month of May in general was not a strong one. So let's get back to things here in June. We've turned the page. Belmont opens up uh, on Wednesday. We've got Santa Anita Derby coming up on Saturday. I'll be on live stream on Facebook Live as well as Twitter with America's Best Racing, Dan Torgman, Ali Vance, Bram Weinstein. We'll all be over there on Saturday getting ready and going through the Santa Anita Derby and the Santa Anita Oaks and all those other races. So uh, stay tuned for that. The $100 Challenge. It's almost as if when I laid this out, the, the, the powers that be, the racing gods, said we need, to, we need to just smack you around a little bit early and, and get you to kind of you know realize that this is, this is not going to be an easy, an easy task. The bankroll from $100, now keep in mind, this started on May 20th, I believe. From $100, the bankroll is now at $42.50. I've wagered $80. For those of you that are new, the idea is to start with $100, churn that 20 times. So $2,000 total. Um, I, I suppose, what the hell, let's go with the, the 10% positive return. Um, Bruce Meyer did point out that, it, I mean, this is a, just churning the 2000 alone, and I alluded to it a little bit last week. Let's not, let's not shortchange that as an accomplishment. I mean, that, that's still easier said than done. But enough people chimed in and suggested that, you know, why not shoot a little higher? And you know what? It's a, it's a fun little exercise, so let's take a shot. Let's say you got to churn the two. And you need to have a 10% positive ROI. So I'm really just going for, I'm at the bottom of Mount Everest and it's time to go for a climb because it, it, this is as chill. Listen to this. Listen to this. 26 wagers. And for the record, I've been more or less sticking to the 4% total of the bankroll. The only time I made a couple little tweaks was when we got sort of, sort of in the... Um, like the, you know, call it 4% would have resulted in like a $2.54 wager. I just rounded up to three bucks until I've got to the point where now, and I will go no lower than $2 at a time. I won't go down to $1 bets. That, that's a waste of time. We're going to go with $2 as the minimum. There have been 26 bets. I've made one winning wager. That's 4%. The one winning rager, you know, returned $22.50. So that's why this isn't an, an, just a, a complete bloodbath. But it damn sure ain't good. One for 26 since this thing started. I, I think even when I went back and first started paying attention to horse racing, I don't, I don't think there, I don't think I ever had a, you know how difficult it is to go one for 26? <laughs> even if you don't, if you're just picking random numbers. You know, I, I feel like, um, you know, p pick your favorite baseball player in the midst of just a just a wretched, wretched cold snap. All you got to do is just keep going. Um, so that's that's where that stands. I mean, it's been it has been a genuine dumpster fire and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully things turn around. Still have some time. And the good news, you know, going back to the top and I don't want to sound defeated, but the top of this challenge uh, and I've been pleased to see the amount of people on Twitter that have been playing along. I know my buddy Mike Baychock has gotten involved. And a number of other people have they've made their own little challenges. And, and some have even just chimed in with this just to have some fun with it. And that's all this is supposed to be. You know, the $100 was, it's enough where it's still meaningful money. But it's not enough where if you go broke, 
you can't just reload. You know, it's $100. $100 you can... I hope we don't have to get to that point where we need to reload, but if, I mean, if the first 26 bets are any indication, it might be happening sooner than later. So that's where things stand. Uh, it's been a cold run, but the good news is, like I said, we've turned over the calendar. We are into the month of June. Belmont's back. Happy about that. Santa Anita Derby's coming up on Saturday. The Belmont Stakes is in a couple weeks. A lot of good things. A lot of positives. Stay positive. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of stuff that can weigh us down. A lot of serious stuff out there that can weigh us down. Let's try to stay positive. Let's not let this... I'm basically talking to myself. Don't let this get in your head. Try not to. But it's been a tough run. Trying to stay positive. Anyway, let's go to the Q&A this week. Going to touch on three comments slash questions. Two of them are from returning trolls. And I like to acknowledge the trolls every once in a while. And when, I, to be fair, one of the, the comments from one of these folks this week is not trollish. Um, he's had a history of trolling, but neither here nor there. Um, and then one question from, that's a, to me, a, a pretty straightforward question from, from someone who uh, I haven't heard from before. So let's start off with that one. Uh, Robert Walton. Uh, do you think it's a mistake to give preference to exotic betting, going for big payoffs via pick fours, supers, tries? Robert, thank you for the question. Uh, no, I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's all about your preference. I think it's all about what the end game is for you. Are you someone that is content just saying, I want to deposit X dollars and I just want to grind and have fun and bet a few bucks here, a few bucks here, and, and never play any giant amount of your bankroll at any given time? If that's the case, then you're probably better off just, you know, doing your thing and 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 not getting involved in the exotics because the exotics will eat up a lot more capital than a win better, a place better, a show better, anything like that. On the flip side, kind of to your point in the question, you know, the the big payoffs come from the multi-race bets, the pick fours, the pick fives, the pick sixes, um, the superfectas, the trifectas, those things, the super high fives. That's where you get kind of your, and I, I don't want to miss you know, I don't want to stray people the wrong way. They're not jackpot bets, but you understand what I'm saying with sort of the jackpot windfall, the big payoff. Um, and I believe Andy Beyer has even sort of mentioned in the past that with the way things have gone from a takeout standpoint and the the, the smaller fields and, and a number of different things, that you're probably better off chasing some of these big payouts. But again, I can't stress enough that if you do go that route, you need to understand that there's a very high likelihood that you you could lose a lot in a short amount of time. I mean, to to take a, a serious run at a pick five, in my opinion, a serious run, unless you have just narrowed this thing down and your opinions are are you know rock solid and you just you're just seeing it really really well. To me, to to think that I, if I were going to go into a pick five and think that. I have, unless I've handicapped and identified a number of 15 or 20 to 1 shots that I think are really live, and maybe I can key in on, you know, I would say a single that's a little bit more aggressive as opposed to a 6 to 5 sort of single. If I can find a a 4 to 1 or a 5 to 1 single that I'm going to key the whole thing around, you know, maybe you can get away with a couple tickets that total. 60 to 70 dollars i think realistically you probably need to be in that 100 to 120 range to have a legitimate chance to hit some larger payoff one i'm not talking about a a pick five that you know that'll come back three or four hundred bucks 
which there's nothing wrong with that, but those aren't, you don't want to be putting in a hundred or 150 into that. You don't want to be getting two and a half or three to one on your money. If you're putting in that much, you'd like to be getting 10 to one, 15 to one. You know, if I, if I could, if you could tell me right now that I could go in and play a hundred dollar pick five and minimum, I'm looking at a thousand to 1500, you know, it's not the easiest or the, the most simple way to, to turn a 10 to one kind of number simply because you have four or five things that need to happen. You need to pick the winners of four or five, six, whatever the pick is. But at least knowing that the, let me put it this way, a different way. If I can get involved in a pool, whether I hit or I don't hit, and the payout is massive. And when I say, you know, you get what I'm saying. Very, very healthy. I don't really have a problem being wrong. I'll look at it and say, you know what? I got involved on a good day. I got involved on a day where there was money to be made. As opposed to a day where you sit there and you go, I mean, in a pick five sequence, it looks like that, you know, Baffert's got a two to five shot. He's got an even money shot. Sadler's got a, a, a three to one chance that maybe you get three to one, probably going to be closer to five to two. Even if you throw an eight to one shot in there, what's it going to pay? 400 bucks? You know, I think you need to you need to handicap the sequence, not just the horses, but the likelihood of what's going to happen. At least that's the way that I go about it. And that's why I don't typically play the picks as often as I used to, because A, you're going to lose more than you win. And B, you know, I kind of got to a point where I was like, well, if if this happens, then what could this thing possibly pay unless I'm going super deep in all the other legs? If, if you know what? Again, a two to five shot is the key for most people. Unless I hate the two to five shot and I'm going to take a stand against, that's a different story. But I think it all depends on your personality. If you're looking for just the giant windfall, that's the way you should go, recognizing that you're probably going to lose a lot more than you win. But the idea for all of this is to make up for the losses and then some when you're right. If you're someone that's much more on the conservative side and you just want to kind of have some some skin in the game and you want to be able to turn on Fox Sports 1 or TVG or NBC on a weekend and be able to say, I want to watch whatever they're going to be showing and go on from there and just have some action, then I'd probably steer away from the exotics. Or if you do dabble, maybe you play an exactor. Maybe you play a daily double, something along those lines. Hope that answered your question, Robert. Thank you. Uh, let's go. Let's start with N. Fazal, Fazal, who apparently is a professor, Professor Fazal. Cambridge. This has been an individual who has been a troll in the past. And I don't know. I, I'm going to read verbatim the, the comment or the question. I don't know what it is. Here we go. Probably you are too young to remember that DRF, he was too good. The history of DRF handicappers picks and their percentages. Do you know what happened to them? Stop this nonsense picking winners in public. I'll read it again. Probably you are too young to remember that DRF, he was too good. The history of DRF handicappers picks and their percentages. Do you know what happened to them? Stop this nonsense picking winners in public. By the way, there's no punctuation anywhere in there. Sir, I don't know what you're asking. And I shouldn't assume sir, uh, sir or madam. I have no idea what you're asking. Um, if you could clarify that some, or if someone else out there in the comment section has any idea what this means. Um, and to the the last piece, stop this nonsense, picking winners in public. What would you what would you suggest I do as a as a public handicapper? What what would you suggest I do? I'm all ears. I'm curious because look, the past few weeks haven't been going well. So if you have a suggestion for something else, please, I'm all ears. But kind of by 
by definition, public handicapper, you're supposed to be handicapping in public. That's, that's kind of the gig. And Fazal, thank you for the comment. And Jotro, my favorite Jotro. I've, I, there have been a number of times where I read Jotro's comments and I roll my eyes because they're trollish, but then sometimes they're funny. And then you have a, a comment like this where it's legitimate. So Jotro is probably just one of those, he's probably like one of your buddies that likes to just needle you and, and give you a hard time. Um, and Jotro has been loyal from day one. So I, I do need to give the tip of the cap to Jotro. Uh, his comment from last week, War of Will. 6th, 9th, 3rd, 5th, 9th, 1st, 7th, 9th. These are his finishes in last eight starts. How long would the media hype, excuse me, how long will the media hype this horse up and give him an excuse? Just wondering. Also, need to see another big performance from Raging Bull before I am sold. He has not done much in multiple starts previously to this win, and this win should make him very low odds next out. Joe, I would agree. Let's start with let's start with War of Will. Your point is is accurate. I mean, this is a horse who is much more sizzle than steak. I'm always going to be a little bit biased, and I'll readily admit a bias with him because I loved him because I called him winning the Preakness before the Kentucky Derby was run. I just figured this was going to be one of those races and the circumstance all played out. We don't need to rehash that. I do think the horse has talent. Is he is he a superstar? No, probably not. But your point is, is, is valid, that he, he's probably earned much more publicity. I shouldn't say earned. He is he has had more pub than maybe he deserves because he looks good. Apparently he's a very, very good looking animal. Uh, I've only seen him up close maybe once. Uh, but again, I you know, going back to last week, I'm far from the authority on what a good looking or not a good looking horse is. Um, yeah, I mean from a from a resume standpoint outside of the preakness, there's really not a lot to sink your teeth into. I do think the horse has ability. I think he's talented. Um, I don't know, you know, again, is he a Breeders' Cup type? Maybe not. You know, maybe he's just not that good. But I, I do think he could potentially win races that are a little more, that play out a little more favorably for him. If the pace isn't hot, if it's not off the layoff, uh, a number of different things. But you're, I do believe your your point. I understand your point as well, that for a horse that hasn't accomplished a ton, He's talked about as if he's accomplished a ton. So I, I do take that point. Uh, I, I take that point to heart. Your other point, I, I agree with as well. The fact that Raging Bull, he was, look, he looked awesome last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was. The days are just blending together. Um, but to, it's true. I mean, he, he's a horse that prior to this, his, his form last year was decent, but he didn't win many races. And, you know, from a distance standpoint, again, I'm not entirely sold that the flat mile is going to be his game because if he doesn't get a wicked setup like he did in the Shoemaker, is he going to be able to come with that big finish? Or with a more moderate pace, yes, he may be able to lay closer to the front, but maybe that late kick is not so potent where the horses that are more forwardly placed still have a little juice left in the tank where they can go at the very end and they're still, they still have a little bit more fight in them at the end of the race as opposed to when they go 44 a piece for the opening half. So I do understand and I take that to, to heart. I think that's, um, and given your point also at the end, making very low odds next out, I would agree with that. I mean, he's probably, whatever race he shows up in next. I would be curious though, if he and without parole were to run in another race, let's just a similar spot. I, I wonder if without parole, and, and I was on record last week saying I would take without parole over Raging Bull in a head-to-head. 
I, I feel like Without Parole has a little bit of a following. And I wonder if Raging Bull is going to be that kind of horse that maybe he'll need to prove it to people. I'm not suggesting he'd ever be, you know, five to one. But in his next start, if if Without Parole is six to five and Raging Bull is seven or eight to five, I mean, that's a little bit of a, based on what they've accomplished recently, it would be a little bit disrespectful to Raging Bull. But I think there's a real scenario where that would play out that way. Uh, and he would need to prove that he's just the better of the two horses. So, uh, Jotro, thank you for always listening and watching. I think both of your points are, are valid. And I'm curious what everyone else thinks about War of Will, what they think about Raging Bull. If anyone can decipher what N. Fazal's uh, statement means, I, I don't know. Um, and what do people think about Robert Walton's question? What do you, Where do you land? Are you Are you all more, you know sort of the straight wagers or are you guys all in guys and gals all in on the uh the exact the the giant exotic wagers the ones that can can make your year sometimes make your life depending on if you catch it at the right time let me know beneath the video player on youtube against the best place for me to be able to see things and kind of cultivate for the shows um and also again i, I just love that everyone is kind of going back and forth and answering questions i, I believe i had seen there's folks from the UK are going back and forth, uh, you know, asking questions and, and relating different things. I love it. I think the, the more that we can do with that, the better. Um, so please keep that up beneath the video player on YouTube. And as always, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Give me a follow over there as well. That's going to wrap up episode 17 of the revamp Matt Bernier show, part of the In the Money Media Network for June the 1st. Again, like I said at the top, number of big things happening with In the Money this week. Um, you've got uh, PTF with The Hammer, Tommy Massis, with Ron Gierkink taking a look at Woodbine, which opens up on Saturday. JK's with Tom Amos for the next JK Plus One. Naomi Tucker has Janine Edwards on. This show is out. The In the Money Boys will have their pieces. The Redboard Rewind with Spencer, I'm sure, is going to be out at some point this week. Um, a number of things to find over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And as always, wherever you find these podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. All of those things are so, so important for us as far as, it just you name it, advertising, just overall exposure, so many different pieces. So if you could just take a slight moment to do that stuff for us, it would be greatly appreciated. I will be back next Monday going over a number of things, but it's going to be kind of, a, it'll be a fun show because we'll have the Santa Anita Derby. We'll have all the other stakes action from Santa Anita. I believe they're calling it the Hollywood Gold Cup. They have, they have finally decided that, you know what, let's go back to what it was, which I appreciate. The Hollywood Gold Cup, Santa Anita Oaks, Santa Anita Derby, all sorts of good jazz. Opening week at Belmont Park. Good times in racing. And hopefully June means I can snap out of this damn cold spell. Hopefully none of you are in a cold spell like this. Uh, until next week, good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. It's been episode 17 of the Matt Bernier Show. Matt Bernier Show.